Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Your daily Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the Premier League-focused podcast with a new episode each and every day of the top flight season and the weekend's league action will soon be upon us. The best of the bunch will be previewed on this week's edition of The Dugout where former Leeds and current Middlesbrough defender Sol Bamba will be joining myself and ex-Hull City man Matty Fryatt on the show. That'll be out on Friday night so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss that. But before attention's returned to top flight affairs... There is a European flavour to today's podcast where Liverpool picked up a vital victory in the San Siro last night, beating Inter 2-0 to take a huge advantage back to Anfield for the second leg of their last 16 Champions League tie. Inter Milan at the San Siro, that's a sentence that will stir up the sentiment for many a Spurs fan, but Tottenham are out of Europe, lagging behind in the top four race, and their current boss, formerly of Inter of course, has had some interesting things to say about the state of play in North London. We'll get stuck into that as well as looking ahead to Leicester's home tie in the Europa Conference League this evening as Danish Minnows Randers are the visitors to King Power Stadium. In what's been a rocky season for Rodgers, will the Foxes falter in their final foray for silverware this season? I'm Niall and joining me on today's episode are two men where knives and forks are the closest they get to silverware, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, boys. <laughs> Thanks for that, Niall. <laughs> it's awfully rich coming from a, from a Portsmouth fan, but, you know, we'll... we'll accept your point and hope to prove you wrong in a couple of years yeah I think it'll take a couple of years I'm still clinging on to the 2008 FA Cup which is a a solid 48 years or something after Newcastle's last major trophy but we won't get into it Marley don't worry about it (laughs) (laughs) and um, it's unusual to be able to jibe a Manchester United fan about not winning silverware but Pompey have won a trophy more recently than you lot as well Joel so I think I'm justified in my dig this morning <laughs> we've got the Champions League coming up this season we, so don't you worry about are you not about counting that. the Europa League in 2017 yeah oh yeah we won three in uh, 2000 and 
what, 16, 17? Niall only uh, deals in Johnston's Paint Trophy final appearances. Exactly. <laughs> and we were the 2018-19 champions. So I'm not having any slander. We have won a trophy more recently than Man United. <laughs> so... right, I'll let you off that night. I'll let you off <laughs> it. won't last much longer. So I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm going to get that dig in once or twice more before the, the trophies start being lifted. No doubt Newcastle and Manchester United will be back where they want to be soon. As for Liverpool, they are exactly where they want to be in the Champions League last 16. They beat Inter Milan 2-0 at the San Siro last night. Good result. Big step this, Marley, towards the quarterfinals. We said it was second in Serie A versus second in the Premier League. Liverpool, we know when they're on it, they can beat anyone in the world. It took a little bit of time for them to get into their stride, 75 minutes before they scored, but a 2-0 result to take back to Anfield, that's a nice healthy cushion to have, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's a, it's a really good result. Um, Inter were were well in the game, to be fair. They had they had a couple of chances as well, but um, I don't know about anyone else, but for me, when Chalinoglu hit the bar, I just thought, are you going to get a, a better chance than that? Like, are you going to... Mm. Is that it? You know, are you, are you sort of wasted your, your one big opportunity and you don't get many against Liverpool um, and it, it sort of turned out that way you know there was it was sort of a it was a good game but you mean you, you look back at the sort of stats it doesn't really show that like there's only two shots on target in the entire game and they were both Liverpool's goals so um, I don't know it was a bit of a strange one but it's one of them where if you win it it's just it's just a really really good win because you know Inter aren't aren't mugs they're they're you know they've got quality players all over the field they weren't obviously they're not as good as they were last year under Antonio Conte but Inzaghi's still doing pretty well you know he's uh, second in the league in a title race that's far from over um AC and um a few others are all still in the in that race I think Atalanta are right up there as well so you're looking at that and thinking you know this this is a team that does have the potential to put Liverpool out there the European history is something that is well documented probably one of the most similar um clubs to Liverpool in that sort of european aspect um the the ground is is iconic and and everything like that it's the first time they've been in the champions league knockout stages for 10 years so you're just thinking like maybe it's a you know a perfect uh, chance to like it's almost like a, a really big banana skin but liverpool held in and they they weren't playing the best but they still managed to score two goals towards the end when Inter's level just slightly dipped towards the end, um, and you see Firmino popping up with a, a fantastic header, and then Salah getting a, uh, a a scrappy sort of second goal, which would probably put this tie beyond Inter, I would say, because I can't see Inter beating Liverpool by two goals to force it to extra time, or or take it on the night at Anfield in in two or three weeks' time. Yeah, just a reminder, no away goals in the Champions League this season. We've said it right throughout this week, but I think it's worth reminding people because away goals have been in play for so long in the Champions League, at least as long as I can remember watching European football at elite level. And it's still taking a bit of time to get used to it because even though a 2-0 lead is a huge cushion to take back to Anfield, if the away goals rule was in play, I think everyone would probably be saying, well, that's tie over. There's no real chance that, you know, um, Inter Milan are going are gonna to come back into it. But... Certainly 2-0, a huge cushion, a huge boost to take back to Liverpool. That first goal came on 75 minutes, just 15 minutes to go. Firmino, who came on at half-time, he's been criticised at times, Joel, for not scoring enough goals, but that was a really important one and it kind of enabled Liverpool to, to, to kick on and get that second towards the end. Yeah, I think Firmino's criticism has been kind of warranted in the last, I'd say, year or so. I think he's 
the one player out of that trio with Mane from, you know, Salah, who's on a bit more of a downward trajectory compared to the other two. Uh, but I think it's the first time that Klopp's been able to look to his bench and have genuine quality to come on. Because I think in the past, it's always been that one starting eleven which everyone knew was going to start. And then if he needed a player off the bench, it was like Jordan Shakiri or... I don't I can't even remember. Uh, oh yeah, like Divock Origi. Minamino or something yeah, like that. Arigi. Yeah, exactly. There was, yeah. there was never like... There was a very big drop down in quality which probably prompted him to play, overplay them at times. Whereas now, you know, he had Luis Diaz to come off the bench. Um, he could start Jota. He could uh, bring on a, a number of players. Obviously, Firmino scored the, the first goal. So it's the first time that he's actually had a really good amount of depth. And it showed in this situation because they were lacking that potency up front um, for good periods of the game. And like Marley said... Inter Milan had them pinned back for good periods of the game as well. They were, the only thing that Inter Milan were missing was a, a top number nine because I think Dzeko was just a massive um, hindrance for them all game. He didn't really hold the ball up massively. He wasn't. He need, they needed some pace to get into behind. I think Lukaku would have been like the ideal player in a game like that where Liverpool were really pushing their defensive line quite high. Um, and I also think that Inter Milan really miss Barela as well in midfield. I think he's such a great player, especially if everyone's seen him in the Euros. Uh, but I think he's injured for a few weeks now. But yeah, Liverpool just, they had too much depth for them. And when you've got especially a player like Salah, who only needs one chance to kill the game, then there's always going to be danger for Inter Milan. And it's funny because when we first watched it, when they first started kicking off, it took me back to, you know, the days in like 2010 where they had Schneider and... Uh, Cambiasso and all these great players and I was thinking oh my god Liverpool have got a game for themselves here but then I realised the, the, the time's passed on a little bit now and Liverpool just had a little bit too much quality for them and I think going to Anfield I don't think they've got a chance in hell have they really um, especially with a two goal lead but as we say since there's no away goals they have a little bit more of a chance than they would have had uh, but it's it's too much of an ask and I think they needed a way more deadlier and clinical number nine to, to touch that back to that Liverpool have. Well, Liverpool's number nine, I suppose, their main striker is Firmino but he was only brought on at half-time because Diogo Jota had to make way after picking up an ankle injury. Now, we said yesterday that it's been 1,000 plus days since Liverpool last had a clean bill of health and now that's gone back to to zero days because Jota's on the injury list and we don't know if he's going to be available for the next Premier League game or not. Um, if he isn't available, Marley, with attention switching back to the Premier League soon, uh, ahead of the return leg, um, that's going to be a blow for them as they try and chase down Man City because he's been very important for Liverpool, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been uh, he's been massive. I think when um, Mane sort of slipped slightly um, in terms of his impact and his goals, that he's getting Jota stepped right up. Um I think people uh, need to remember that he, he came off the back of a, quite a poor season at Wolves. I think he only got five or six goals when Liverpool splashed out best part of forty million for him. So um, he he hit the ground running straight away. I mean, he, he instantly just started scoring goals, and he's never really stopped. In fairness, so um, he's become sort of the main striker and the reason why Firmino's starting games on the bench now. So like when he's come into the into the squad and stuff. You know, because he's younger than Firmino and he's younger than he's even younger than Mane and Salah by a couple of years as well. He's he's kind of he's like the next generation of of Liverpool. Um, when when people talk about cycles and people coming towards the end of their time and not offering as much impact as they once did, I think Jota's the one that's uh, 
that's immune to that almost because he's he's got I think he's only twenty five or something like that. So you're looking at him and Luis Diaz and and Harvey Elliott as the next generation of Liverpool um, sort of attackers. So with that in mind, it's kind of very important for him to to stay fit. And obviously, yeah, he's, he's not fit now. He obviously he is going to get injuries and things like that. But I think he's been one of the reasons why Liverpool have been able to um, to keep at this level of sort of. But this really, really high level. I know it's not they're not quite with Man City, but even when Salah and Mane went away for the African Nations, he was there chipping in with the goals. He scored pretty much every week. Um, he's in pretty much every active fantasy football team in <laughs> in the world right now as well because he's, he's he's that cheap. But he's just uh, he's a quality player to be fair, and he can play across that front three as well. So um, with that, you know, in in your in your head, then Liverpool are in a good position, I think, for a few years. Yeah, I definitely think Jota's impact can't be understated. I think he's been absolutely brilliant since his arrival. I think a lot of people have given Jurgen Klopp some credit as well for making changes. Obviously, the the Jota one was injury-enforced, but towards the end of the game as well, making the changes and, and Liverpool going on to win the game in the way they did. I just wanted to close this one out, Joel, with a quick mention for Harvey Elliott, who's only 18 and he's been given his Champions League debut by Jurgen Klopp. It shows that... He has really trusted younger players during his time at Liverpool. You only need to look at the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold, look at someone like Curtis Jones as well, who's become a first-team name in recent seasons. And now Harvey Elliott's the player who's been given the nod. Yeah, I saw a great picture of him and his family um, at the Kiev final, uh, Liverpool versus Tottenham two years ago, and now he's playing at the San Siro <laughs> for the club. Like that's, if that's not like dream-like, then I don't know what it is. It's, it's quite a comeback as well, considering he just had his leg break, what, three or four months ago. Um and yeah, I think Liverpool's always been a club that has introduced young players consistently, especially like you say when you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, who has pretty much cemented, well, yeah, cemented himself in that in that starting lineup for a good number of years. Now has become one of the better players in the Premier League. So, um, especially with the likes of you know Jordan Henderson slowly probably being phased out in the next couple of years, then obviously James Milner's not exactly. Um, the youngest anymore so he will get plenty of opportunities in that midfield if they don't end up you know going into the transfer market because there's talk of you know Jude Bellingham who may be linked or not so it's he's a very good choice to have and like you say at 18 I mean he's that, what, what a debut in the Champions League to do it at San Siro I think it's it's um I think it's probably come sooner than he thought it would have came but it just shows the confidence that Klopp has in the younger players he has, um, especially when he has options on the bench as well. He could have easily started Cater, but he started um, Elliot instead. So it's it's good for his potential. And I think going forward, he'll definitely be a really important player for, for Klopp's side as long as he can, can, can recover from that injury and not show any kind of signs of it affecting his form or his play. Well, Liverpool 2-0 winners in Milan last night. They beat Inter in the first leg of their last 16 tie. I think the return leg is in about two or three weeks' time. Of course, we'll keep a close eye on that tie when it happens. There are some more Champions League fixtures taking place next week. As well as tonight, there are European games. Leicester, the only Premier League side in action. We'll talk about them a little bit later. They're playing in the Europa Conference League. Tottenham Hotspur were in the Europa Conference League at the start of the season, but... They've been eliminated from the competition. Not good news for Tottenham and their manager, Antonio Conte, is a little bit unhappy. We'll talk about him next after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sports Social. And one of the big names from a managerial perspective in the Premier League is, of course, Antonio Conte. The Tottenham Hotspur manager has given some interesting interviews recently about his time so far at Spurs. This is what he said. He's not used to fighting for fourth and he even hinted during one of the interviews that fourth may be a step too far for his side this season. Conte claims that Spurs should actually be competing with teams like Wolves and Leicester and Aston Villa. He even mentioned Newcastle United and those are the teams that they should be scrapping with before thinking about challenging the teams at the top end of the league. And the Spurs fans are a little bit split on this one. Some are praising Antonio Conte for sticking it to the ownership and calling it as it is over the lack of investment in the playing squad. Other supporters are saying he's just playing the blame game and suggesting he doesn't have enough tools to do his job, which is something that Mourinho was accused of doing before him. Really interesting this, these interviews that Conte has given Marley. What do you make of it all? Yeah, he's uh, he's, he's not happy, is he? Um, in fairness, I think you, you could give Antonio Conte the world and he, he'd still find something to be unhappy about um, and shout and scream about. But I think in this case, he's obviously got a point. Um He's, I said on Monday's podcast, he's, he he didn't realise how big this job is. Um, and I think every week that passes, he realises how big that this task is to, to turn this sort of ship around. Um, you know, whether it's losing games, throwing away leads, um, realising that players aren't good enough. I mean, he hooked Sessegnon after 25 minutes on the, uh, uh, last weekend and, you know, put, put someone else on and still lost the game, you know, comfortably and... It's just the the transfer thing was shouldn't really come as a surprise. Um, you know, Levy is one of them. He's probably the owner who you know what he's like the most before, like more than anyone else in the world. You know what Daniel Levy's going to do. You know he's not looking to sell. You know he's trying to pay off the stadium. You know he likes to uh, demand high prices and uh, for for ones he's selling and for and low prices for ones he's buying. Um and if I think if it wasn't for Fabio Paratici they wouldn't have got anyone in, in January because eventually they ended up getting so desperate that they went to uh, Juventus's transfer list and picked out uh Bentancur and Kulusevski who are still decent players but ultimately they've just weren't wanted by Juventus and you gotta say, is that for a reason? Um that they'll let these 21 and 24 year old players go because 
these are players that got prime in the in in the future and Conte is just trying to 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 fill the gaps you know left by people leaving they and Dombele are going um yeah it's I don't know. Well, he says, Marley, that Spurs actually weakened. These are his yeah. words. He used the word weakened in the January window rather than strengthened. As you say, four players out, including the likes of Ndombele and Deli Ali, and two players coming in. And he says that, you know, he's happy with the two players he's brought in. But I think the words he used, and I am paraphrasing slightly here, were that on paper, we look like a weaker side because we have less players. Is that something you agree with? Can you see why he would be frustrated? Uh, I can see why he'd be frustrated, but and I can see why he says it's a weaker side because you've you know you've sold four and bought two, so yeah. But but also if you didn't like those players and you were that convinced that they couldn't do a job, then have you not strengthened by getting two guys in who you you must be convinced by? Because I would argue that if you don't want four players and you buy two that you want, I think that's that's strengthening. Um, especially if they go on to you know help you win games and actually do improve your team i think obviously it's still a bit early to tell whether you know who's going to have the impact that the that spurs are hoping but it's uh, it's a strange one because he's he's clearly not happy and i think levy or in in history in historical sort of circumstances will not, will not exactly put an arm around him and uh, and say you know come on what can we do to make this right so it's not really going the way um that he expected so far they've blew the chance to to you know uh put their stamp on fourth and and win those games in hand i think they're, they're further away now than they were before the um they played those three games in hand um and you've got to a point now where you've got to look at the summer now and say like this can be overturned. There's still time. A Conte and Spurs aren't completely done. They've not blew the whole chance of uh, of bridging the gap back to the top four because there's still the summer, and a summer is you know the perfect opportunity to to really sort of analyse what you want and and go and get it. And you've got six weeks rather than you know three and a half, four weeks um, in January. So there's still t- there's still an opportunity for Conte. But if you're saying this in February. You know, and you know the, the, these comments won't go down well with Levy, and they'll probably have talks and stuff, and promises and plans will be made for the summer. But if you're saying these now, and you start losing games again, you know, if if they lose, you know, another three or four games towards the end of the season, is Conte going to be like, you know what, this job's a bit too big? Um, yeah, I just well, not too big, but like unwinnable because. I tried to get a damage Has he only got himself to blame, though, if that happens, Marley? Because he, he, I mean, there's a suggestion that he's bitten off more than he can chew, but he was so desperate to get back into management. And, you know, he was linked with the Manchester United job and then uh, Nuno Espirito Santo was sacked and the Spurs job became available. And within a few days, he was in there. And I'm not sure whether I feel any sympathy for Antonio Conte I don't, I don't feel sorry for yeah. him that, that he's a serial winner and that you know Tottenham are, are struggling I mean it's his job to kind of galvanize the team and he knew what he was getting into I suppose is what is what I'm saying or at least if he didn't know what he was getting into he should have probably done his research a little bit more well that your point there is exactly backed up by the fact that he turned it down in the summer um or earlier before Santo took over he was one of the ones who looked at it and said uh oof, that's 
that's a bit of a big job. And I think there was almost, I think there was quotes around that time that he said like he had um, uh, reservations over over the squad quality and how good it was. And that is exactly what he's seeing now. So it's almost like he, he should have trusted his, his gut and said, well, it is going to be a ridiculously big job. But I think with, with all managers, uh, they're egotistical and they think they can sort things out when they get there. Um, for example, like Conte probably, he assessed the squad in the summer and said, I don't really fancy that job. I don't think they're going to get into the top uh, four or challenge the titles. And then as as the months went on, then three months under um, Nuno Santo, he's probably looked at that, probably thought of his decision again and thought, you know what, maybe I could. I'm 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 a quality manager. I can go in and sort that. Of course I can. You know, it, it you know it won't be as bad as ev- what everybody says about Levy. You know, he, he will give me the the opportunity to sign players because I've won I've won the Premier League, I've won Serie A and I've done this and that and the other. And then he's got there and it hasn't really I think he's he's been reminded that it he was right in the first place. And it's one of them where he mm. goes, Oh bloody hell like it is actually bigger than I thought it was and it was as big as what I thought yeah. it was in the summer. So maybe uh I've got way more work to do. But it's it's up to him and, and Levy to find a medium because I mean Spurs are going nowhere fast right now. Um, and it needs to it needs to get sorted, ideally before the summer, in time for the summer to then kick on next season. So what happens next then, Joel? Spurs have lost their advantage in the top four race with recent results. It's been a really damaging week or two for them in terms of trying to get into the Champions League places. Obviously, they still can get fourth, but it's looking much more unlikely than it did only 10 days ago. So for you, does it feel like where they finish this season might determine Antonio Conte's future? Or do you think he'll honour that two-year deal that he was handed by Tottenham in the summer? How do you see things? Um, with this, I think everyone saw what was coming with this. Um, I think that obviously when we all know it's common knowledge that he turned down a contract in the summer. So he was their first choice for a long, long time. Of course, the the reasons haven't come out, but I can assume it's the fact that either he didn't have assurances on how much he would be back, he would be, he would be backed in January or the summer, or it was like Marley said potentially the the squad quality. So now that he's come back into the side, um, a few months later, it clearly shows to me that Levy's changed his stance on, for example, how much he's willing to back him. Um, or the the distance he's willing to go in the summer to actually get Tottenham to becoming you know one of the top four sides again, but for me I think it, I think Conte's more angry now at the fact that in January he really wanted to see how much Tottenham were willing to go for him, and the fact that they didn't get Luis Diaz and Adama Traore, which were his two main targets, and they both ended up going to bigger clubs. I think that's kind of told him why he actually turned it down in the summer which is the fact that he wasn't going to get back to the extent that he wanted to because the reason he left Inter Milan in the first place was that Steven Zhang the the CEO wanted to get rid of their main two players which was Lukaku and um, Hakimi Ashraf so it's it's kind of the writings on the wall with this situation where I think he's working with the players he's got Ben Sankur and Kulazewski were definitely not his first choices and of course that link with Paratici and Juventus has clearly saved them because I don't think I'm, I'm, I struggle to think of who they would have got in the place of Diaz and Traore if if Paratici didn't have that kind of connection to them so I think Levy re- uh, sorry uh, Conte realizes the difficulty of the job he's got because the squad that Nuno had was really really bang average and now that 
Conte's, you know, they were eliminated against FC Mora in the Conference League. Obviously, the last game got postponed, but they're out of the competition. Even after that game, he was so heavily criticising the situation, saying he didn't realise how bad of a situation it was, as a power phrase, but along those lines. It shows to me that he just doesn't have confidence in the board and every single job that Conte's been in, he leaves purely on the basis of he doesn't feel the backing from the board and he doesn't get what he needs to make the side what he wants it to be. So for me, I I wouldn't see him pass this summer, to be honest. I think that they'll have a talk in the summer and if he feels as though he's not going to get the plays he needs because he needs specialist players in the system that he plays. I think if he doesn't get those assurances, I think he'll go. I don't think he wastes time in these kind of roles and it's quite damning for Spurs because I know their fans desperately want Levy to start backing Conte because he's a serial winner. But if you don't give him the tools needed to get them back to where they need to be, I don't see how any manager's meant to contend with that. So it'd be interesting to see, but I just I think Conte's really realising what kind of owners and backing he's actually got at that club. I think this is intriguing in general and we'll move on shortly to talk about another manager who's under a bit of pressure in Brendan Rodgers. I don't think Conte's under pressure as such, but in terms of whether this damages his reputation as an elite coach, if he leaves Tottenham having not really done anything, um, it's been a bit of a disaster, it's been a bit of a mess, he's only been there a year, I still don't think that will tarnish his reputation as an elite coach. I think everyone knows how difficult it is to get a tune out of Tottenham Hotspur, not in terms of the players. I don't think that's too fair on them. I just mean the stubbornness of the chairman, Daniel Levy, and the way things operate at Tottenham Hotspur. I don't think that that will tarnish Conte's ability to do a job somewhere else. But I certainly think it does uh, maybe throw a couple of questions up about whether he is someone who's able to go into a, a club and turn it around with very little to work with. So I, I guess it's one we'll have to keep a close eye on because the season is far from over. In terms of silverware, it might be for Tottenham, but um, certainly with that European spot still up for grabs, they want to finish fourth. It will be a big ask, but stranger things have happened in the Premier League. Talking of silverware, it's the Europa Conference League tonight, the inaugural season, of course, and there's only one Premier League side in action this evening. That's Leicester City. We'll talk about their game next after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sports Social. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. We do a new one of these every single day of the season, including Saturdays and Sundays. So if you want to keep right on top of all the happenings in the English Premier League, then make sure you hit subscribe. It's Europa Conference League tonight, though, for one of our Premier League sides. Leicester City host the Danish club Randers, who are sixth in the Danish league. But they arrive at a King Power Stadium, which has a little bit of an anxiousness about it, Joel. Let's face it here. Leicester City should be far too strong 
Ferrandes, who, no offence to them, most people would never have heard of before this tie was drawn up. But the Foxes have had a bit of an indifferent season, so maybe some of those Leicester fans aren't as confident as they should be going into this one. Yeah, we say that, but I mean, the season's been the opposite of that, hasn't it? Where every single time we thought, oh, Leicester are going to start coming back into form, they end up just collapsing majority of the time. I don't think they've had a victory since January the 8th, which is pretty telling of the situation at the moment obviously the Europa League group apart from Napoli it should have been a group that they should have easily gotten out of and they were pretty much well in control of that obviously until the final day where they ended up getting knocked out by uh, Napoli on the final final game week so it's it's a a strange situation for Leicester because the last two years they've been so consistent where they just missed out on top four by what three or four points in the final five games of the season and I just truly believe that that has become really taxing on the players because they must be thinking, what do we have to do to just break into that kind of that really gate kept top four that no one can seem to break into? But when when you come up against a team like Sanders, and this I think this is like the first time I've ever heard of them in my life. Um, I'm pretty sure Brendan Rodgers is gonna feel the pretty weak side and to me it's it's quite surprising that he would potentially do that because they're not going to go down they're not probably they're pretty too far away from the european spots in the premier league and they're they're nowhere near consistent enough to actually break into for example the top seven considering you know tottenham and wolves are the ones who you've got to try and get beyond and they're 10 points clear of them so it's it's a really tricky one for leicester and i think brendan rogers with his comments recently about saying how players, when they have a good spell at Leicester, they probably will end up moving on to another club. It's difficult because then you ask, well, what's Brandon Rogers' level? Because I really don't see him as kind of a top four, five, six manager in terms of going to the bigger clubs like, you know, United or Arsenal, um, potentially. Why not, that. Joel? Why Why is that? He's managed Liverpool and nearly won them a title. He's really well thought of in coaching circles. Obviously, he crafted his skills at Chelsea in the academy which we know is a, a really good working environment so why is it you have that opinion of Brendan Rodgers what what makes you think that about him I just don't know if he can he can have the step up because like we've seen with Leicester although they were very very close to top four they, they kept just missing out constantly and although we've seen it with Liverpool I feel like that team was just a moment in time where he had Luis Suarez who went on to become probably one of the best Premier League players ever uh, one of the best La Liga players ever um, and then he had obviously a talented Raheem Sterling and Danny Sturridge. And it was just, I feel like that team was just a moment in time, which would be very, very difficult to replicate when you have a player like Luis Suarez. They don't come around every every season. It's like once every 10 seasons you can make a transfer like that. And, you know, no, no one really saw that one coming. So I just don't think he's a massive improvement because, for example, Brendan Rodgers has been linked to United quite a lot. And, when you look at the, uh, the the managers who would be competing for that place, I just think he's the weakest one. Um, although he's probably got a better track record in terms of trophies, obviously as an FA Cup, uh, a title challenge. I mean, you can say title challenge, so is Pochettino, but um, I just don't think he's, he's that level. I think he's the level right now where he needs... I think Arsenal would be a good fix for him just because Arsenal are still a type of club that are trying to get back to that that prestige and that status that they've been waiting for. But I think the rest of the clubs, I think he's very far off that. Um, and I do believe he's in the bit, he's in the middle of like a, a rock and a hard place in terms of Leicester aren't 
the biggest of clubs. And I think that Rodgers wants to be at a club where, you know, he's not losing his players every summer to other play, to other bigger clubs. He wants a club where he can retain them and can continue to build a squad. Um, so it's, it's a tough choice for Rodgers. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up moving on in the next couple of years if he feels as though he's been hold back in terms of investment or in terms of losing his players. I don't think the investment side of things is something he'll be worried about. In fact, ironically, Leicester City as we've recorded this podcast, have just released their latest accounts for the year ending May 2021. So from 2020 to the 31st of May 21. And they've made, I think, a 33 million loss or something like that. But obviously you've got a factor in COVID. They've got this absolutely outstanding state-of-the-art training ground that people seem to forget that they've just built. Um, they won the FA Cup. They were in the European competitions, which obviously help revenue. But... Um, in terms of Brendan Rodgers and the pressure that he's under, I've seen a few supporters suggesting, oh, we can't afford to get rid of Brendan Rodgers um, because of the, the way the accounts are looking and things like that. But in terms of whether he should be under threat and under pressure, Marley, I know he's someone that you're a fan of as a manager. Um, do we sometimes need to just zoom out a little bit and remember that Leicester City have kind of built themselves into this European contender in terms of the Europa League spots um, more so than the Champions League spots and that's testament to the work that's been done behind the scenes and by Brendan Rodgers I guess in the last three or four years uh, yeah pro- probably I think if you think about where Leicester were sort of trying and kind of finishing most of the time under Claude Puel and um it, it just wasn't anywhere near where they are now like Rodgers has took them to another level and I think if if Leicester got rid of him, um, I feel like they would struggle to get back to you know fifth and sixth in the league because they might have the squad for it. But the, I think in terms of manager, I'm not sure they could go out and get someone better than Brendan Rodgers or, or even as good. I think they'd be taking um, taking a chance on sort of a, an up and coming manager. Um, who you know might have a, a good reputation in another another league, someone like Ruben Almerim or something at, at Sporting who's doing really well, like a young a young one that's you know sort of sort of flavour of the month type of thing. I don't think they could go out and get another one who's definitely as good as Brendan Rodgers. It'd be a chance. Could they get someone like Ralph Hasenhurtl, for example? Is, would that be an option? And and I think it's a bit remiss of us to talk about who could replace Brendan Rodgers. He's still very much in a job and I don't think he's under too much yeah. pressure. I don't think it's like he's going to be sacked even if they don't win this game. I don't think he'll he'll be sacked. But certainly, I think that maybe Leicester have earned that status as being a, a bigger club or a better club, a bigger opportunity than someone like Southampton, for example. Could they chase a Graham Potter? Uh, is this the level of manager that they're looking at, do you think? Uh, maybe. Um, I think Hasenhutl... Is is ready for his pipe and slippers? To be honest, by the by, the, by his comments, <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's on about hanging it up after he leaves Southampton. But yeah, Potter Potter could be could be someone who I could see there. But even then, you know what's what's Graham Potter done in the game compared to Brendan Rodgers? He hasn't done. Yes, he's flavour of the month. He plays nice football and all the rest of it. But he hasn't been proven. So even if you think he could be like a better manager in the future, he. You can't say that with any certainty now. So, with I don't know with with Leicester, I I think I would go all out to just appease him and and say, all right, what what do you want? Because nobody's in the last two or three years has, has took charge of fourth place. Like it, the the 
race for fourth last season was was as it is now. Like every it was changing every week, um, and Leicester had it until the the last ten games. They probably had the the biggest control of it of anyone. Yes, they fell away. Okay, fine. But if you can reinvent the squad um, and say to Rogers, okay, you know, what do you want in the in the summer? What what can we do? Um, may, if they could go and win this little Europa paint trophy, whatever it's called, they could go and they could go and strengthen again. You know, they could be in the Europa League next year. They wouldn't have to worry about the league. Um, they could possibly still, you know, have a, a good run to fifth or sixth in the league as well this year. So nothing's over yet for for Leicester, but. The comments would would slightly worry me from from uh, Rogers talking about Telemans and you know not he seems a little bit run down by how things are going at Leicester and um, I would be a little bit wary of that if I was Leicester's owners and say how do we stop this from becoming a real problem? Back to this game tonight then Leicester City against Danish club Randers. They're sixth in the Danish league. They finished sixth in the Danish league last season as well. If you look at the teams that are left in the competition. I think this was probably the most favourable draw that Leicester City could have asked for. Over two legs, they should be seeing off this side and getting through to the quarterfinals. With the teams left in the competition, as I say, Joel, they probably should be going pretty far. I mean, they should be looking at winning this, really. The teams that are left in, PSV, Maccabi Tel Aviv, Fenerbahce, Slavia Prague, Sparta Prague, Rapid Vienna, Vitesse, Micheland, Pauk, Marseille, Karabag, Partizan... Celtic and Berdeglimt. So if you take that list of teams, Leicester are the the best of the bunch, aren't they? Yeah, you'd, on on paper you'd think so. I mean, I think the only ones who could potentially topple them are either Fenerbahce, Marseille, potentially Celtic, potentially PSV. But I think this competition just comes down to who actually wants to win it more. And I think with the fact that Leicester have been dumped out of the Europa League, I'm sure this isn't, isn't a trophy that Leicester fans will be massively excited for considering the calibre of teams left compared to, you know, for example, Fenerbahce, PSV and Marseille. I'm sure they're actually really kind of motivated to try and win something. Um, So I think with this competition, it's just purely about who actually wants to go all the way or who's just going to use it as a a way to kind of field the, the, the weaker players in the side. But you would say on paper, easily Leicester have the more stronger side. But considering how they performed in the Europa League and how pretty straightforward their group should have been. Um, I just don't think this competition is going to be as straightforward to them because as we've seen, for example, with Tottenham when they were in the Conference League and they got beat by FC Mora, who I think they were founded in like 2012. It's just not a straightforward competition because I think motivation levels just really drop. And I think until you can get to, for example, the, the quarterfinals or the semifinals where you can actually think, oh, we've got two games until we can actually get to a... European final quote unquote um, then I think they'll start taking it seriously but I think it's it's just the case of motivation I'm just not sure they're more motivated than some of the teams that are still in there something that maybe is overlooked is that you know if you win this competition Marley you get a Europa League spot and Joel's right Leicester are 10 points back from those Europa League spots in terms of qualifying through the Premier League so with a handful of games left to go it's unlikely that Leicester are going to make up the ground in the top flight. So does this strangely now become the kind of pinnacle of their season, the focus point of their season? Um, yeah, I could see that. I would, if I was Leicester, I would be, would be definitely trying to win this, win this tournament. Cause you know, we, we do joke about the, this conference league and stuff and probably rightly so to be fair, but 
um, the 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 embarrassing stage of it is kind of past now. You know, the one where you've got to go to the arse end of Belarus and away on a Thursday night and play some team you've never heard of. The the teams in it now are usually the ones you see in the Europa League. So you could read out to me like the last um, sixteen of the of the of the tournament and say what tournament was this? And you could easily pass it off as as Europa League because. Marseille, Michelin, Fenerbahce, Slavia Prague, Rapid Vienna, these are all teams that are in the the Europa League pretty much most years. So we're in the knockout stages now. It's not that easy um, to win it. Look, Leicester have got a little bit lucky with Randers probably being the, the lowest ranked uh, team left in it or probably one of the worst teams left in it. So if you get through that, you know, a quarter final against Celtic, a semi against PSV and a final against Marseille, for example... That's still a tough competition to run. You've got a Europa League on the back of it as well. And I would still say that uh, winning those six games is easier than making up a 10-point gap on the likes of uh, the teams ahead of you in the Premier League, like Arsenal and, and Spurs and Man United and all the rest of it. So West Ham and, you know, so I would be challenging this and saying, you know, we've won two cups in two years if this uh, if, if they do go and win this conference league because the FA Cup and a European trophy um, is is something to shout about and they can always say we were the first ever English team and the first ever winners of the Europa Conference League and maybe in years to come people might remember that it was a bit of a, a, a joke in the early stages but still not the easiest uh, thing to win when you get to the knockout uh, stage of it pub quiz answer that'll be who who won the first ever yep. Europa Conference League um, yep. Leicester City could well be the answer to that they'll need to see off Randers over two legs first though the Danish side travel to King Power Stadium tonight Leicester City back in Premier League action at the weekend they're away at Wolverhampton Wanderers we'll preview some of the best games taking place in the top flight across the weekend on the dugout which will be out on Friday night I've got Sol Bamba and Matty Fryer two former Premier League players will be joining me on that show but for today episode that's it thank you marley thank you very much joel don't forget to hit subscribe that way you won't miss another episode of football social daily again and we'll speak to you again tomorrow football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk